0: Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Well, today we're going to finish up our summer series that we've called This is the way, where we've explored the way of life that Jesus modeled for us to live and to see what that looks like for us to do in the 21st century. What does that look like for us to do here in Johnson City, Tennessee? And today we're going to wrap that up by talking about his command to go and make disciples. But before we jump into the text, I want to give you a little bit of my personal background When I was a sophomore in high school, I got really, really, really serious about my faith. My my youth minister kind of brought me under his wing and had me do things like memorize the whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, memorize the whole book of James, do a deep dive study into the book of Romans to learn apologetics and how to defend my faith. And so like my, my high school youth group experience was widely different than most of my friends, but I went to college and knew I was going to go to ministry. now my, my youth minister, my pastor, they wanted me to go to a Christian school to get a degree in Bible, but I felt called to go to a state school. So I went to a state school and just plugged into as many Christian things as I could. Well, I asked a guy named Dusty my first year, if he would disciple me, long story short, he said, no. And so then a year later, I approached him again and asked him if he would disciple me. I mean, I loved how he was doing ministry. I wanted to do ministry like him. And he said, well, what all are you involved with on campus? And so I said, well, on Monday nights, I'm in a Christian fraternity. On Tuesday nights, I go to late night Bible study at the Presbyterian church. On Wednesday nights, I lead worship at a youth group. On Thursday night, I go to the citywide college Bible study. On Friday, I go to a, a Bible study called late night. So I'm not out at the clubs. I'm studying the Bible. Saturday, I take off. Sunday morning, I go to church. Sunday night, small group, thinking that he's going to be like, wow, you're such a good Christian guy. And he goes, yeah, you just created your own little Christian bubble. I'm not going to be another thing on your Christian calendar. If you want me to disciple you, you have to cut out 70% of that stuff. No brainer. I scrapped almost all of it to be under his wings. And for the next three years, I believe that I grew more in my faith than any of my friends who went to Bible college. For three years, just being discipled, I grew tremendously in my faith because that's God's model, is for us to be discipled. And so today, as we talk about discipleship, I want you guys to be thinking about how you can be discipled, but also how you can disciple others. So let's open up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, the last five verses, verses 16 through 20, are known as the Great Commission, And these five verses are the most important verses in all of the New Testament when it comes to the ongoing mission of the church in the world until Jesus returns again. So look at verses 16 and 17. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now these two verses have always been a little bit confusing to me because here's Jesus. He's been with the disciples for the last 40 days. He didn't rise from the grave all jacked up, bandaged like a soldier from the battlefield that's found himself in a medical tent. He's not on crutches. He's not in a wheelchair. He is doing great. He's healthy as a horse, All right, So he's doing fine. And for 40 days, he's been cooking fish, hanging out, walking through walls, doing things in his glorified body. And how in the world could it come to this point where he is about to ascend to heaven where people are still doubting? It's like, I don't know. I had a friend in middle school who could do some cool card tricks. Like like, why, how could People doubt, right? Well, there's there's two probable things or two th- two ideas of what might be going on here. One is in verse ten, Jesus says to go and tell the brothers to go to Galilee, and there he will see them. And so that word brothers that means the eleven disciples plus more possibly. So does that mean that there are more people than the eleven disciples at this mountain? So yeah, the eleven disciples are worshiping, but some in the crowd, some other people are struggling with doubt. That's option one. Option two is that this is showing us that it's absolutely possible to worship God while still wrestling with doubt. And, and so so I love that, that truth, right? That you can worship God, be a follower of Jesus, even when you don't have all of your questions figured out. Even when you still have some doubts that you're struggling with, it's still possible to worship God. Now, of those two options, I don't know which one's best. I kind of 51% lean towards option one, but whether option one or option two are true, the truth of option two remains the same, that it's absolutely possible to worship and follow Jesus even when you struggle with doubts. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I've just never taken that step to follow Jesus because I still have some unanswered questions, what would it look like for you to respond to Jesus with the truth that you do have? Because it's possible to follow Jesus even when you don't have it all figured out. But here's the scene. The disciples are on this mountain. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. Some people are worshiping. Others are doubting, possibly doing that simultaneously. And Jesus speaks up. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right, so Jesus speaks with authority. Now, if you were to follow Jesus' life and ministry... He said things and he did things that showed he believed that him and God the Father were equals, right? That they were, they were on equal footing, that he was fully God and fully man. He was God in the flesh. Now, when people heard Jesus and saw the things that he did, some people believed him, some people got really angry and mad and wanted to kill him, and other people remained curious. But now he has rose from the dead, he's risen from the grave, and that proves that he is who he said he is, that he truly is God with us, that he truly is the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7, that he truly is equal to God the Father, that he is the, the third part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's Jesus in this position of being fully God, not just a good moral teacher or a moral example to follow, not being a consultant that offers advice that we can then choose to take or leave, but Jesus as God in the flesh stands up and speaks with authority. So he's about to give marching orders to his disciples, and he does so from a position of authority. When someone's in authority, the proper response, when Jesus is speaking from authority, the proper response for us is to surrender to his commands, to surrender to his will, to bow down and to follow him in worship. I, I had a pastor friend that when he talked about the marks of a healthy church, he said it was the ABCs. He said, man, if you want to know if your church is healthy, check the ABCs. He said, you need attendance, buildings, and cash flow. And he's like, if those things are in order, you're a healthy church. Right now, I would say that the ABCs keep a church afloat. So if the church was a ship and you have attendance, you have a space to meet in, and you have cash flow, like you're floating. But could you imagine being a battleship, a warship, uh, um, an aircraft carrier, and being like, our goal is to float, It's like, no, like if you're on mission, it's like, hey, they're attacking and we've got to go. You need the direction and the command to say, this is where we're headed. This is what we're going to do. Jesus isn't concerned with just keeping the church afloat. He is sending the church out on mission. And so these are his marching orders that he gives us to be a healthy church. So the mark of a healthy church isn't to stay afloat. It's to be on a specific mission. So what is the mission he calls us to? He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, if, if we were to break this down in the original language, which you're like, I can't do that. Or maybe you can and you're awesome. All right. But either way, the, if you were to read this in the original language, there's, there's an imperative and three participles. You're like, I didn't pass English, or I don't remember anything. What does that mean? There's one command, and then there's three descriptors of what it looks like to fulfill that command, okay? So there's only one command in these verses. The command is make disciples. That's the command. Then the three descriptors to that process are to go, baptize, and teach, okay? One command, one imperative, three participles, okay? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. The command, make disciples, the way we do that, go, baptize, and teach. Okay, now if we were to say, go and make Christians, you're like, I know what a Christian is, but there's a lot of confusion on what a disciple is. What's interesting, if you read through the whole New Testament, the word disciple is used 267 times. The word Christian is used three times. The idea of being a follower of Christ without being a disciple is completely foreign to the New Testament. We are all called to be disciples. A disciple is not a super Christian. It's not like there's Christians who get to heaven and then there's super Christians who lead Bible studies. It's like, no, no, no. We are all called to be a disciple. So we need to define what a disciple is. We need to define what a disciple is. Now, if I gave you 10 books on discipleship, chances are that you would have 10 different working definitions, right? So if we're trying to keep it simple, silly, right, the the old KISS mindset, I would say the simplest way to explain what a disciple is, is a disciple is a student who follows a teacher, Okay, so in Jesus's context, it would be a student of a rabbi or of a religious teacher. And that relationship was kind of like an apprenticeship. So if if you wanted to be a metal worker, you would find a metal worker and be an apprentice. If you wanted to be a shoemaker, you would find a shoemaker and be an apprentice. So discipleship, I love the terminology that it's basically, it's an apprenticeship to Jesus, right? You are being an apprentice of Jesus. You are a student of Jesus. Of him. So the idea of, of being a disciple is to learn to be like Jesus. Uh, it, it's, it's, being, it's living your life as Jesus would live it if he were in your shoes. Right? So think about it. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to seek to live your life as Jesus would live it if he We're in your shoes. Now, maybe you're thinking, like, well, Jesus wasn't a high school science teacher. Jesus wasn't a real estate agent. Jesus wasn't a businessman. Jesus wasn't a stay at home mom. And so, like, I I don't, there's no scripture in here that shows me how to be a Jesus like high school teacher. So, what do I do? Well, think about this um, pals. I don't know if you've ever eaten pals, all right. My family's in town, guess what we did? We took them to pals, right? We're like, you gotta try these fries, they're great. All right, and so pals, now if, if we see pals in East Tennessee, it's just normal, but for the outsider, it's crazy, right? Because think about this, Harvard. Harvard has come down to study pals. Why in the world would Harvard be like, what's happening in Kingsport? Like, let's go check that out. They're trying to see how in the world do they have a 400% return rate on customers? How in the world do they have half their turnover rate of the other leaders in their industry? What is going on at PALS Sudden Service? And so PALS Sudden Service has their Business Excellence Institute, Right? Now, people from all different types of industries in the country come and go through PALS Excellence Institute. You have real estate agents, you have security companies, you have car groups. Like you, have auto, like you have all these different groups that are like, what are we doing now? Is PALS teaching them how to sell cars? Is PALS teaching them how to do things specific to their industry? No but they're teaching them universal principles that you can apply across industries that will allow you to flourish in your own context. So will Jesus teach you how to be a high school science teacher? Will Jesus teach you how to flip a house like HGTV? Will Jesus teach you how to fill in the blank? No. But he will give you universal principles that when you apply to your specific areas of life, to the places where God has placed you, he will set you up to experience what it means to truly be human in those areas. He'll set you up to flourish in your humanity where you are in life. All right? So we want to seek to live our lives as Jesus would live it if he were in our shoes. And something Jesus would do if he were in our shoes is he would be making disciples. If Jesus were in your shoes, he would be making disciples. If Jesus were in your shoes, he'd be investing his life into a few people for a few years, teaching and modeling a way of life that's in line with God's design for human flourishing. Right, but we're reading about the disciples here. And there's a huge difference between the disciples and us. The primary thing being is that the disciples had just been discipled. So Jesus goes, what I did with you guys, just go and do with other people. And that makes sense. Like, what are we supposed to do? Do what Jesus did with us for three years. But I wonder, I'm not going to do this, so do not raise your hand. But if I did this, if I said raise your hand, I wonder how many people in here would say, I've never been discipled. If I said, go and make disciples, and you're like, how? Because I've never been discipled. Like, I wonder how many in this room would say, like, yeah, that's me. I don't know how to make disciples because I've never been discipled. You talked about Dusty discipling you in college. Like, I don't have a Dusty. And so I don't know what to do. So if you're sitting here today and you're like, I don't know what to do, I want to address the question, how can you make disciples when you've never been discipled? Right? So as we try to apply this text today, I want to talk about how can we make disciples if we've never been discipled. Right? So to break the ice, I'll, I'm going to give you guys two things. Right? Two things that discipleship is not. First, discipleship is not quick. It's not like microwaving a burrito. You can find a, like a, a lean cuisine and cook that thing in two and a half minutes and it'll be lava hot. Like You can do that. You cannot microwave a disciple. Right? It's not mechanical and linear right? And I think that's one of the ways that we've been failing a little bit in recent church history is the industrial revolution has changed the way that we approach education, right? Like think about the industrial revolution. How does the day start? Work bell. How does school start? Bell. How does the day end? Bell. How do we do We put kids on a conveyor belt and it's like, you go to first grade and second grade and third grade, and here's our standardized testing. We just kind of push people down the line and out pops eventually a high school graduate, right? And so we have more or less adopted this mechanical and linear approach to discipleship where it's like, okay, let's just put people on a belt, a conveyor belt, and let's send them down the line. And it's like, read this book, do this Bible study, go to this class, and then out pops a made disciple. And it's like, whoop. And it's like, there he is. Like, that's the made disciple. Let's do it again. But that's not how discipleship works. It's not mechanical. It's not, it's not linear, all right? Discipleship is a lifelong process. Discipleship is a lifelong process of surrendering to Jesus in obedience and being transformed by his indwelling presence. Okay, it takes a lifetime to become a disciple of Jesus. You're not gonna pop out after a three-week course or a year long Bible study and be a made disciple. It's a lifelong process. So, what I want you to know is that the church, right, we, we play a function in this, what I would say is, is organizational, right? So, there are organizational things that Redeemer does that's part of your process of discipleship. So, organizationally, what we do is we want to provide environments. And they're not all gonna be the same. There are different environments that might make sense for you in a season, or maybe not for this season, but for another season. But there's gonna be multiple environments where we wanna help you to know God, to know yourself, and to love others. And so on Sunday morning, we want this to be a form of organizational discipleship, where you're learning about God, where you're learning about yourself. If you do a small group, there's a component of that that is discipleship. So there's an organizational component but there's also an organic component, right? Discipleship is not a program. It's not something that the church does as an organization only. It's also organic. And so organic discipleship, just as important as the organizational stuff, organic discipleship is what you're called to do as an individual. And so as individuals who make up the body of Christ, who make up the body of Redeemer, as individuals gathered who are the church, there are things that you are called to do. And those are the three, the three things, the three descriptors to disciple making, going, baptizing, and teaching. So if you're going to make a disciple, these are the three things you need to do. Three things you need to do to make a disciple. The first thing is to go. All right? He says, go and make disciples. Now, the, the command to go does not mean for you to move overseas. It's like, I got to go to India. I got to go to Kashmir or somewhere crazy like where the world has never heard about Jesus. Like this is obviously a call to, to go far. Some people do go overseas, but the term here is best translated going or as you go. Or another way of thinking about it is as you live your life. So as you live your life with your unique wirings, with your unique placements, as you live your life, make disciples. As you live your life. So discipleship doesn't just happen at a coffee shop. It might start at a coffee shop as a weekly meeting, but it never stays there. Discipleship right? It happens at work. It happens at the dinner table. It happens as you parent. It happens as you hang out. It happens as you road trip. It happens as you do life with people. Um, I discipled a guy for a couple of years before he moved away. And and so we started off with doing a book study, right? Just a, a weekly set meeting. And that over time, Changed into us really doing life with each other. Well, he recently moved away and the, the last season of his time here in Johnson City, I was like, man, I wanna finish strong. Let's do one more book together. I was really jazzed about that and we just couldn't work it out. It couldn't fit into our schedules. But before he left, he goes, Jeff, I want you to know something. He's like, you taught me a ton. He goes, but man, I learned more about Jesus through eating dinner with you and your kids and your wife. I learned more about Jesus through, after working out, just sitting in your garage for 30 minutes and hanging out. I learned more about Jesus when you came to my house and just got on your knees and prayed with me after that hard breakup. I learned more of Jesus when you took me with you to change the oil in your truck. He's like, I learned more about Jesus just from doing life with you. And and man, I, I can never thank you enough for that. And that's really what discipleship looks like. It might start as a weekly meeting, but you wanna bring people into your life. As you live your life, you don't want them to just know the Bible. You want them to see how the Bible is lived out in day-to-day activities. So as you live your life, you are making disciples, so go. Next, it says, baptize. Now, baptism is an external action that symbolizes an internal reality. Right? It's it's a way of also publicly identifying with Jesus. It's a way of saying, I'm with Jesus. He has taken my sin and washed it away so that I could take his righteousness, I'm with him. Right. So it's a way of publicly identifying with Jesus. And if you read through the New Testament, baptism almost always comes on the heels of conversion. Now the truth is, is that you very well might enter someone's life post-conversion where you disciple them. So there are some cases where you're discipling someone after they've already been baptized, after they have already given their life to Christ. But this command to baptize shows that Jesus absolutely expects us to be a part of people's lives pre-conversion and be a part of leading them to know who he is, as Lord and Savior. So we wanna be a part of leading people to know Jesus for the first time, to know him as Father, to know God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to know what it means to be adopted by God as Father, to know what it means to be formed as a follower of Jesus, to know what it means to be empowered by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We want to to be a part of teaching people what that means, right? So go baptize, and the final command is teach, right? I think it should go without saying that you can't teach something you don't know, right? It is impossible to teach something you don't know. Now, there is a huge cultural problem. I deal with this on a weekly basis with people that are a part of Redeemer, right? There is a Jesus that we want, and there is a Jesus who has been revealed, okay? Everyone in here has an opinion of who they want Jesus to be. Like, if I said, what would Jesus drive? If you were Jesus, what would you drive? Somebody like, pickup truck, four by four. Like, I'd be like, nah, he'd be in Tesla, Like, he'd be in a Tesla. Actually, I think he'd be in a hybrid. He'd be saving the environment while still supporting our economy through the oil industry. Like, 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 everyone would have their opinion about who they want Jesus to be. And what happens is we can sit around and say, well, Jesus would never do this or Jesus would do this. But the deal is, is we don't just want to follow Jesus and teach people about who we wish he would be. We want to know who he's been revealed to be through his word. So we need to be students of God's Word. We need to have good Bible literacy so that we can teach people not who we want Jesus to be, but who Jesus has revealed himself to be. But here's what you need to know. Information does not transform people. For instance, let's say that like, I wanted to lose some weight. I was like, I want to finish the summer strong. Is there any way that I can lose some weight? And I talked to a dietitian. I'm like, how do I get in shape? How do I get like that, that 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 like I want to look like a person in a magazine, right? Whatever whatever it might be, they would say, "Okay, Jeff, here's the information. Fifty percent is calories in, calories out. Twenty five percent is the macronutrient breakdown. You want to have the right amount of protein, right amount of carbs, right amount of fats. The next twenty five percent, it's just a it's just a, a throw it in the air like quality of food, timing of food, supplements, like all that stuff. But in all that, you've got to be consistent. They can give me the information." but my body will not transform unless I apply it. Right? It's not just information, it's information plus application that leads to transformation. So Jesus doesn't say, just go teach people, go help people acquire more knowledge about me. He says, no, teach them to obey. Teach people to obey All that I've commanded you, which means the goal isn't for us just to acquire information about Jesus, it's for us to align our lives with his teaching. So we want to know God's word and teach it to others and help them to apply it to their lives. All right, now maybe you're sitting here thinking today and you're like, look, Jeff, I can't do this. Like, I, I can't go and make a disciple, even though, like, I know you said, like, even if you haven't been discipled, you can do this, and you can, as you live your life, and you can baptize people, and you can go and teach them. Like, I just can't, if you're sitting here today, and your heart's beating a little bit faster because you're like, I'm not gonna live this out. I'm gonna walk out of here, I'm gonna go eat some barbs, and I'm never gonna think about this again. Like, if you're sitting there going, I can't, let me encourage you with one final thought. Okay, one final thought. In Matthew 28, as this gospel concludes, Here's Jesus with no army, no army, no armed men, no money, no government backing, and he is sending out 11 disciples. And if you study these disciples, this isn't your team that you're going to pick. That's not your dream team. This isn't the 92 dream team. This is like the 2020 dream team. Okay, like, like this, isn't your, this isn't your team that you're confident is going to win the thing, right? So he picks his 11 disciples and he sends them out on a world conquest. Do you think they wish they had more time with Jesus? Do you think they wish they had more talented people on their team? Do you wish they had a thousand other things at their disposal to, to accomplish this mission? Absolutely. But Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What was true of them with Jesus' indwelling presence is true of you. So hear me you cannot make a disciple, but Christ in you can. So find somebody and begin to invest your life in them for a few years and help them learn what it looks like to live their lives as Jesus would live it if he were in their shoes. God, thank you for your word. I ask that you would start a movement within this church, creating a bunch of disciple makers. God, help us to be apprentices of you through the environments that Redeemer is able to provide to help us grow deeper in our faith. But God, help us also to step out as individuals on this mission to be a part of gathering people and investing our lives, giving our lives away, um, and helping them to follow you too. God, I ask that we would all be a part of baptizing people in the very near future because we were a part of helping leading them to Jesus. But God, make us grow as a church, not through the things that we can control, but through your spirit working in us to be a disciple-making church. Let us multiply out with a bunch of people that look like you. So God, be with us. Truly, God, as you said, you are with us. Behold, you're with us, God. We ask that you would be with us, because we can't, but Christ in us can. So God, help us to make disciples. In your name we pray, amen thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com